Hello. How, how's everything with you? Good. I, I forgot to turn Skype on. Um, it's and easier. Then, it's easier when you turn the Skype on. It is. It was, and then, and then as I turned Skype on, it bounced for a while, and then I had to turn my Dropbox off. And uh, yeah, doing a. It's difficult to do a podcast that depends on Skype without Skype. Right. Well, I was I was afraid that this was all like you know new Mac problems. Oh, I that, didn't even try. I'm I'm so, oh you're I'm on old Mac. I'm on ah. I'm on uh, Fat Boy. <laughs> fat boy little man yeah i got fat boy today and then i'm gonna go little man uh for for the next episode um <laughs> and yeah so i'm i haven't uh i haven't decided uh, or i i transferred uh almost everything over so for the listeners that don't know the uh inside uh baseball um, and why why would they because they're they, they unless they're <laughs> unless they're listening in on our secret uh, yeah, text yeah, yeah yeah for those who don't know which is everyone except for you and me um <laughs> I, I got a new macbook air last week that has that's beautiful that is light and thin that has touch id that is um i have a macbook pro that i've been using as well as an old a, an older macbook um, that's the MacBook, MacBook Adorable, and now it's like I've jammed those two things together. Well, I haven't, but Apple has jammed those two things together and made what the the computer that I've been waiting for, which is um, a two port Thunderbolt uh, three uh, ready um, MacBook uh, uh, MacBook Air with it has Retina display that's light and fast and has a big. Uh, I mean, a big hard drive. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You know what they say about big hard drives, Don? Right? Lots of storage. Lots of storage. <laughs> lots of lots of lots of storage potential. Like, uh, <laughs> I can already tell. I can already tell that today is going to be awesome. Um. So yeah. So I'm. So I didn't even bother. I switched everything over on Friday. I need to hand off. Um, Fat Boy today to someone else who's going to use Fat Boy to do some coding of videos, and um, we've got we got lots of people in the last little bit of, of um, our observation project, um, and so at the end of this podcast, I will retire from Fat Boy. I will I will before I retire from Fat Boy, I will move the podcast recording file over to the MacBook Air, and I will do all the editing uh, there. It's going to be uh, yeah a new it's a new day. Wow. Wow. So fascinating, right? Yeah. I, so I am not, uh, I'm not getting a new Mac. Um, but I think even though I have like the, the next, the, 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 what used to be the new iPad, I think I'm getting a new, new iPad, but I haven't done it yet, but I might, I might do it today just because I'm going to be traveling. And then after I, when I'm done traveling, it'll be after Thanksgiving and the Apple store will be nuts. So yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so I may just get it today so that I'll have it to play with when I get back from my trip without going to the Apple store when it's crazy. Yeah, they are. um, This also is in our super secret chat. The, the new iPads are sexy. They're, Mm -hmm. they're Mm -hmm. the new hotness. I, yeah, I need it. I need it for my work, man. I I want, I need, (laughs) I need it for my work. (laughs) (laughs) My work, my work is, is going to be to watch uh, season two of Patriot. (laughs) Yo, my gosh. Yes. I I started it. I started it last night. I made it in 12 minutes and then I, I was just too sleepy. So I've, I've started, I'm 12 minutes into the, the, the new, um, uh, the new season. And, uh, I, but I want to, I want to watch it when I'm, when I'm fresh, when I can, when I can pay attention because it's, it's hard. It's, oh, it's, you, uh, know, it's yeah. you have to pay attention. There's subtitles, which reminds me 
of another non-food safety related thing that's that is related to subtitles that that I want to talk about before we talk Ooh. about food safety. So I'm excited for that. Um, I uh, Patriot is um, I think my favorite show right now. Um, there's another show I don't think we've talked about uh, about this show. We, I might have mentioned it. Um, at one point, but there's a show that's now on Hulu, the first two seasons, that's a Canadian show called Letter Kenny, which is is another fantastic show for totally different reasons. And it's it's an acquired taste show, but it reminds me of all the people that I grew up with. Um, because the accents sound like very uh southern Ontario and there are um hockey players in it and um, and farmers, which is kind of where I grew up. Um, anyway, that, that has been my favorite show for, for totally different reasons, but Patriot, um, season one, I just, as I was watching the first two episodes of season two, I, I was reminded as to why I loved it because it's, it is shot beautifully. This, it is dark. It is super funny. Um, and, and the, I mean, it just sounds great. Everything about it. I love the music. Um, and, and speaking of the music, uh, um, the, the new title, uh, 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 song for, uh, Patriot season two is one of my favorite all time songs. Uh, it's uh beastie boys, uh, sure shot. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that, 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 that was, uh, that was cool. Um, spe- speaking of beastie boys, cause this is what everyone comes here for is, uh, uh, beastie boys talk. Um, they uh, they released a book uh, last week, and they did a really great uh, interview. The the two remaining Beastie Boys, um, Ad Rock and Mike D, uh, did a really great interview on uh, on Jimmy Fallon. So uh, maybe we'll link to that in show notes uh, if I can find it and send it to you. But it was really it was really good. Um, so yeah, um, well, and I think I think it's called Beastie Boys Book. Is that right? It is, is that called the book. Yeah, it's called Beastie Boys book. <laughs> that's a you know I just googled Beastie Boys book and it came and, right up and I'm like wait that's too easy. Yeah, no they they're I mean the Beastie Boys have, have the best <laughs> SEO I think right apparently yes oh Beastie Boys book yeah so I haven't I, I haven't read it this is on my uh, list of um, uh, of books that I'm gonna uh, get on on the Amazon uh, over the Thanksgiving holiday and read. Cool. Um, Actually, you know, the one that I'm I'm looking forward to reading a couple, but uh, I read um, I think it was in the Washington Post. I read an excerpt um, from um, uh, Michelle Obama's new book, which which I think drops today. Um, and boy, it sounds like she has no F's left to give. Yeah, she is going to be badass. So anyway, she's uh, she's awesome AF, as they say. <laughs> is that what they say? Yeah, that's what I say. That's what I say. Uh, so, yeah, I'm I, I'll, I'm looking forward to that. I'm gonna, you you and I had talked a little bit about this on the past couple of episodes, and um, I'm we we are both I think making a concerted effort to um, to read more. I have I have a book, um, Don. This is a book review time. I'm opening it up. I know I think I know what it is. Do you hear that? A little oh, fully. I, yeah. Um, <laughs> you'll probably be able to guess what it is, and I knew what it was as soon as I got to my to my office. Oh, is it? Is it? Uh, is it? Did you just eat that? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it is a <laughs> uh, two scientists explore double dipping the five second rule and other food myths in the lab. This is uh, by. Uh, it's a book called "Did You Just Eat That?" by Paul Dawson and Brian Sheldon, and it's. I mean, it's a nice looking book. Um, I it's have, a. It's a hideous green color. <laughs> I, I, it's. Uh, it's interesting. <laughs> um, 
And I, you know, uh, you know, you know, Brian Sheldon, who's a co-author, he's a, he's a NC State guy. I, yeah. Did you, did you know Brian? Was he at, I've, still I've, at NC State? I, I've met him a couple of times. Okay. We, yeah. We don't, we don't know each other. I, I mean, I have not, I've not worked with him, but yeah, we, um, uh, we, we've met. And so, so this is, uh, I'm, I'm going to read um, to everyone, uh, uh, all of our listeners. This is when you're in the biz, like we are, you get things like this. And wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I know, I know that I'm in the biz, which is why I got it. I'm pretty sure based on, on text messages that you did not get it, but somehow you've been able to wheedle yourself a copy. Look, hang on a second. I, I was, um, and, and so, so let me read the, let me read the letter. Let me read the letter. Dear Dr. Chapman, enclosed is an advanced copy of Did You Just Eat That? Two scientists explore double dipping, the five-second rule, and other myths in the lab. Norton is publishing the book this month, and I wanted you to be among the first to see it. Um, and then it goes through, you know, like a, a nice press thing of is the five second rule is the legitimate? Five second rule legitimate? Yeah. How gross is backwash? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I have virtually the same letter. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's from uh, the editor uh, Quando uh, at uh, Norton and WW Norton and Company. Anyway, so the reason why this is uh, as hilarious to me is because um, in one of our super secret text chats with other unnamed food safety people, um, the other members of this group. Uh, receive this book except for me and I, and and the others i want to note are not in the biz they're not in the podcasting biz oh oh right they're in the food sure. safety biz yeah, yeah um and so i i had this um legitimate fear of missing out uh feeling last week when everybody got these awesome books um and and i didn't get one and i was like they don't even they don't even know who i am why why, why am i doing any of these things my existence doesn't matter um why, where's my where's my treat where's my, where's free my treat exactly my, i want a treat and then uh, and then this morning when i got to my office lo and behold Treat. That's it. There's my treat. I got a treat. Okay. Oh, so you didn't you didn't even act, act even have to act ask ask for a, your own special copy. They just it was just late going out. It was out late. To... Yeah, just like every like what's, like what's me. The, what's the date on the letter? Date on the letter. <laughs> November second, two thousand. Okay. Same. Yeah. So that's just mail. That's just besides the same 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 date on my letter. So yeah. So, so I thought my university was really bad, but yours is worse. It was apparently. slow. It was very slow. Bad. So um, anyway, I got my book. I'm gonna read this. Um, I, I know you, you're not a fan of the color. I'm, I'm optimistic about this book. I think, I actually think it's going to be well uh, interesting. I, I did, um, because this is the way I roll. I did, I did flip to the five second rule chapter. Yeah. They, um, got, they got you in there. And they, they well, they cited me, but not for the five second rule paper. So, uh, they cited me for Chen et al, which is my most highly cited. Oh yeah. yeah. Manual. Uh, so it's not surprising that they would cite that. Um, but I'm wondering, I'm just looking to see when it, when it came out. Well, so copyright 2019. Um, so we, I mean, we, we basically fast forwarded into the, into the future, but you know, you know how these books yeah. work, right? Like they, yeah. it probably, they had this manuscript done like two years ago. Yeah. Probably before. I mean, cause they did, they did, they did, um, cite the work from Aston University that inspired me to go and do the five-second rule, um, that the press release uh, and PowerPoint from Aston University. Not that I'm still angry about that. So this is interesting. So the, the, uh, the list price is $23.95. The digital list price is $20.98. But you can buy this hardcover book on Amazon for, um, well, it says, yeah, well, hmm, it says uh, $15. Discounted. So. 
discounted. So it's, it's already sale. discounted. It's on sale. Black huh. Black Friday. Black Friday deals. <clears throat> is, that, is that it? Um, yeah, sure. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm the worst academic ever. I'm perusing through all of the references, and I don't see my name here anywhere. Uh, That's bad. My stuff. See, they didn't. They don't know who I am. They didn't. They didn't even think about it. Someone, yeah. Well, someone. and and I'm, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I have to confess, I'm, I am, I mean, and I know Paul Dawson because we we served together on a a committee, a um for the uh, uh, WFLO or um uh, the Global um, Logistics Organization, um, and so I know him, and we we've met each other, um, and I'm I'm actually envious that he is very clever at doing this. I mean, he was the first one to actually publish on the five second rule, and he has published on double dipping and, and some other things. So I'm I'm very I'm very impressed that that he did this, and I'm also very impressed that he wrote the book. And I'm a, kind, a, t- a tiny little bit uh, jealous that that he did it before I did, because this this re- really Ben, this should have been the book that you and I wrote. I know I mean, someone someone well, texted. Here's me. the thing: we'll we'll do we'll do we'll do it second, but the the best. Right, right, exactly. Just like podcasting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, we weren't the first podcasters. No, <laughs> we we weren't even the first podcasters in the food safety space. If we, it, it, uh, truth be told, there <laughs> well, were well, well, it depends. Yeah, yeah. Well, first, first audio format, um, food safety space. Let's just say. Oh no, and, not even. Yeah, you know, right. No, because um, but we but we've we've I think we've f- s- clearly kicked uh, Carl Winter's butt. I mean, and, and he's a nice man. But he's a great, yeah, you know, nice but, guy. But I mean, we're uh, you know, we're 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 big. We're bigger than him. Yeah, we're bigger. <laughs> yeah, we're, <laughs> what are you saying? We're bigger than the food safety Jesus? Is that, that's a. <laughs> That's a, that's my uh, John Lennon uh, reference of the day. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I got. In, oh uh, wait, before before we completely we, we I, I want to just quickly circle back to uh, subtitles and British TV. So we are watching uh, right now something called Bang, um, which is uh, set in Port Talbot, Wales, and it is it is the most bizarre thing because they mostly speak welsh oh, which yeah. i didn't think anybody spoke but apparently a, a significant double digits of people in wales actually still speak welsh um although apparently not in port talbot but that may be just the, the conceit of the show so um and so but it's you have to really pay it speaking of you know um uh, Patriot and, and 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 subtitles. You really have to pay attention um, to this show because either they're speaking in Welsh and you need the subtitles, or they're speaking in English and you and and it's and it's and and when we watch it, it has both the Welsh, you know, the, the English subtitles so you can understand the Welsh, and then it has English subtitles so you can understand the Welsh <laughs> accent of English. Amazing. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's very, it's very, very dark. It reminds me, I've said this to, to my wife a couple of times. It reminds me very much of season two of the wire, uh, because it involves a warehouse and people like, you know, sort of stealing stuff out of the warehouse, which reminds me very much of the, what happened on the docks. And it's just, it's, uh, it's just, it's just a slow motion train wreck. And you can just, these people are just screwing their lives up with, you know, bad decision after bad decision. Um, and uh, but it's but it's 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 really good and it's uh, yeah I've never I've never watched something that uh, is is in is in Welsh so anyway think, thinking a lot about David Lloyd. <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, I'm sure David Lloyd speaks Welsh. I don't know. He's kind of an LB. <laughs> I don't think he. <laughs> I, <yeah. laughs> um, 
my David Lloyd does have my favorite uh, Thanksgiving Christmas story of all time. As as has been told several times on the podcast. <laughs> I know, I know. It's still the greatest, and it might this year might be the year that I uh, my my kids are old enough that I may uh, recreate the David Lloyd. Uh, um, uh, practical joke, which we, you can you can find that in the archives of uh, Food Safety Talk. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read this I'm gonna read this book. Did you did you just eat <laughs> so that? So I'm I'm googling David Lloyd Food Safety, and uh, all I find is that uh, David Lloyd Leisure has been fined uh, 350,000 oh, yeah. pounds for, for safety, safety failures. I see that. That's too. not that's not the same guy though, right? It's not the David Lloyd that we know, right? I'm not sure. I mean, I, who knows what he does in his? Uh, in oh his wait, here we time. go. Here, David Lloyd Cardiff Met. Okay, we got we got the right link here. It's a fitness. Okay. It's a fitness firm. A fit, I, I've never described my gym as a fitness firm. Um, but that's, I guess that's cause I'm not Welsh or, or, uh, or British. Um, so, so we got, uh, got all right. So I'm, I'm, stuff. I'm, I'm done with all that nonsense well, of I, the, the beginning of the show. So you're done. You're ready to go. You're I'm ready to go. I got, I got one more piece. I got one more piece of nonsense. No, just, I just one more thing. Don. <laughs> just, one, just one more thing. Uh, so <laughs> see, see what I did there. Uh, so good. yeah. Uh, so, so this, uh, so today I'm, I'm doing something, uh, that is not food safety related. Um, but I'm, uh, I'm taking my kids to a, to a concert cause I like to do that cause I'm a cool dad and they don't know they're going, but we're going to see the Avet brothers, which is one of our, oh, our favorite yeah. bands in, uh, in Greenville, North Carolina. It's a, um, it is a benefit, uh, for, um, the recent hurricanes that uh, that have hit our state that are that are real, not not fake news. Um, that just that displaced boats from uh, marinas into people's uh, front yards, and then we weren't sure who owned the boat. Um, and uh, so go go check out um, and let me see if I can find this hurricane relief uh, Avet Brothers, um, and we'll link to it in show notes if people want to uh, donate to this. Um, I'm, I'm, I'll, I will be there, uh, for this, for this benefit. And I think you can donate as well. Cause there are lots of people in North Carolina that are, I mean, you know, displaced that will be with, um, out of their community as those communities rebuild for a long time. There, there are still, um, schools, uh, that are closed, um, uh, from our hurricanes that happened in, in September. So it's a uh, you know, terrible, terrible situation. We're going to see oh, the but, David but brothers. They might've, they might've got a free boat. They might have got a free boat. We don't know. We don't even know who's the, who owns it. What are the what are the laws on this? No one. No one knows. I think they can keep it. No one knows. No one knows. Uh, <laughs> you know when he says no one knows, what he really means? I don't know. Right? Is that right? Yeah. No one knows. No one knows. Um, so so anyway, the Avet Brothers are um, are here. There is a beautiful, beautiful, wonderful. If you don't know who the Avet Brothers are, go to HBO and check out. Um, the HBO documentary that Judd Apatow uh, directed um, that is called uh, May It Last, uh, Portrait of the Avent Brothers. It's beautiful. And uh, they're, uh, they're definitely in our, in our top uh, five bands uh, in, in, our, in my household. And they're a North Carolina band, which is cool. So, cool. And, and, and just, just one more thing. Uh, Stan Lee died last, yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I know I know you want to get to the show, but just, yeah. just one more thing. I'm just one yeah, more thing. It's, it's sad. He was he was ninety-five. Crazy, right? <clears throat> yeah. Um Stanley, um I you know, I we've talked about comics. I'm not a I, I was a comic fan, but not a a vervent co- comic fan when I was growing up. I um 
Uh, but I, I my my most favorite Stanley cameos were the ones uh, or the, was the one he made in uh, Mall Rats, um, mm-hmm. which uh, was uh, by our by friend of the show Kevin Smith. <laughs> Not really friend of the show, just a guy that that you and I both like. <laughs> so so that's my Stanley. Well, that's no, I, I mean, well, and and this Ke- the Kevin Smith that that could potentially be a friend of the show is not the same as the the New Jersey director uh, Kevin Smith, right? If you were, if you were Kevin Smith, so so Kevin Smith, the uh, the director, his Twitter handle is that Kevin Smith, um, and I think I would, if I was the other Kevin Smith, the FDA Kevin Smith, I would be, be the uh, other Kevin, Smith. the other Kevin Smith, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, all right, let's get to the show. Let's there's, I mean, there's food safety stuff all the way down here. Well, I mean, I know you want to get to the show, but just <laughs> yeah, just one more thing, just, just one, one more, thing. yeah. <laughs> Uh, it was so funny. I watched him do that in person, and I'm like, "That's a thing he's doing, right?" And then, and then the next uh, the next episode, uh, Merlin called him out on it. It was uh, it was so good. So anyway, it's great. It's great. We are talking. Uh, ben and I are cryptically talking about um, what is what is my favorite uh, podcast, uh, which is uh, Dubai Friday. So um, anyway, if you don't know about that, uh, you've been living under a rock, but you should check it out. It's it's a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, and uh, Don is, uh, as it says in his Twitter bio, he's uh, Doctor Don from Dubai Friday. He's, he's that Doctor Don. I'm, I'm, I'm literally that Doctor Don. Yeah. That, so they, um, there's something that that I did want to talk to you about. I, I know we have a bunch of stuff in here, but this came mm-hmm. from the most recent episode of Dubai Friday, um, where they said we got to call Doctor Don about this. And I want to talk about it because it's a good one. You- yeah, and I've been I've been meaning it was sitting in my in my in my. So it, it was something that they referenced in the uh, after show. Yes. Um, yeah, that's right. And and I and there's no way to make a, a link to the audio in the after show in Overcast because it's a it's a private feed, and so Marco has actually disabled that um, in the app. Um, and it's been, it was in my, sitting in my inbox. I took a screen capture and I said, you know, I should follow up with them. And I, I never did uh, by email, but I would love to follow up on that. So for sure. All right. Well, let's do it right now. Okay. Go yeah. for it. Okay. So so the so the deal is there's. Um, an article in the Chicago Tribune talking about um, the Chicago Transit Authority buses and how there's sometimes like some some unsavory things that are found on those buses, um, like urine and poop and vomit. And it turns out uh, from this um, from the investigation that it's not always just patrons that there's some bus drivers that are leaving leaving things. And and so they go through this kind of fanciful story of a uh, Chicago bus driver who who pooped and then pooped in a bag somehow. I didn't I, I couldn't yeah. recreate it in my head. I, I yeah. think he, he, he kind of walked to the back yes. of the bus and then put a put a bag on the floor, did his business in the bag. Uh, like, picked up the oh, bag. Okay, stop right, right there. Like okay. I think just to, <laughs> to reference to another. Yeah, yeah. Um, I so I don't. I, this is something that um, that mo- many of us practice once, maybe twice a day, right? In a usually in a toilet bowl. I can't think of a situation where I would be able to just like poop in a bag on a bus, off a bus, anywhere. This is this is some pooping skill. Um, that that and maybe it's because I don't camp. Maybe maybe that's it, but but to be able to uh, when, uh, honestly, whenever I went camping with the Boy Scouts, I just didn't poop till I got right. home. <laughs> See, that's exactly <laughs> what I did. Yeah, maybe hit a McDonald's on the way home. Yeah, uh, yeah um, exactly. So so anyway, there's um, 
<laughs> so, so poops. Sorry, you go go ahead. Go continue on. Poops, poops in a bag in the back of the bus. Well, and so let's and let's just make this a a, a, a hat trick, as they say in the in the uh, in the hockey uh, sports. Um, because uh, on another podcast that we both listen to, Roderick on the Line. If you listen to the latest Roderick on the Line, Merlin talks about pooping on an escalator. So <laughs> yes, yeah, right. So anyway, <clears throat> the. Uh, I think we've now referenced all the all the great shows. All the great shows. <laughs> um, so so the driver poops, uh, and this is my, my recollection. I mean, if, if you if you really want to know what actually happened, uh, you should um, give Dubai Friday your effing money, and um, uh, then you could listen to the after show. So, but basically, the idea is that um, he pooped in a bag. He brought it to the front of the bus, and then uh, apparently he so he he like. Tried to he spun the bag around like like you would do if you had a bag full of poop, um, and tried to fling it out the window of the bus. <laughs> but when he did, he somehow didn't get it out the window, and it went apparently all over the seat and the the front of the bus where the driver sits. So and this yeah, is like ahead. the worst. Like like <laughs> okay. So so let's let's re let, let me rehash this. So we poop in a bag. Um, do a good job saying, okay, well, you know, I, I don't really want this poop in a bag around here. So let me tie it up. Let me put a knot in it. And, and you know what I really should do is just throw it on the street, which in this situation, I don't really want to poop on a bag, poop in a bag on a bus. I want that off. And so he tries to do this and it's full of feces and it misses. And then it hits somehow the interior of the bus. And then in the, the greatest, I, I guess a display of irony ever the the driver is now forced to to sit in the poop addled um seat that he is he, this is it's it's on his seat right right in the driver's area of the bus yeah so then he tries to so this is where we come in this is where dr right. don <laughs> tried to so the driver quote tries to clean up the feces by wiping the seat and his shirt and then he also attempted to pour the contents of a coffee cup on the seat to clean the area and so, so the call out that you got was, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm guessing, I'm guessing he, there was coffee in the coffee cup, but, but who knows, that's right? The, that's, that's the starting point, right? Right. With, it, it's unlikely that it was, um, name your favorite company, favorite sanitizer company's sanitizer. It's probably not in a, you don't, you're not filling up, um, some, some, uh, your coffee cup and saying, you know, maybe later I might be pooping on this bus and I can bring some. <laughs> I need to bring some some bleach. I think you're right. I think it's unlikely to. Be. I think it's coffee. Well, and if and if it was bleach, that's a very dangerous thing to put bleach in because somebody might drink that accidentally. So <laughs> Without it being fraud. labeled, the whole thing is fraud. Yeah, yeah, you have to label it bleach. Uh, um, so uh, so so we've got so we've got that. So now I had I had another. So so the question that you got was: Is that will that do anything? With can I clean up? This my my poop shirt, my poop seat with uh, coffee. Well, <laughs> mostly I think you're gonna spread it around. Um, so no, I, it's not it's not what we call in the business a best practice. I would not recommend doing that. Um, and part of the reason why I didn't respond is I think the answer the answer is kind of obvious. I mean, yeah. there might be there might be some benefit, right? Like I mean, we again we've uh, we've talked before. <clears throat> I've talked many times about the fact that if you uh, wash your hands, if you do the splash and dash, that is you wash your hands in water with no soap, you can get a significant log reduction. Now, that's 
a little bit different scenario because you are washing your hands and the water is running past your hands and on your hands and going down the drain versus this scenario where you're just kind of moving the poop around like it's you're not washing it anywhere except maybe I guess if you got enough coffee you could you could uh, make it wash onto the floor of the bus but it's not I mean it's different than than in a sink scenario where where the water is going down the drain of the sink and and carrying the poop particles with it here like I said, you're mostly just moving them around, right? And right. And, and coffee is not uh, antimicrobial, or it's not strongly antimicrobial, so it's not. It's certainly not not a best practice. And I, you know, and before we we pile on too much on this guy, like e- either he has maybe a medical condition, and they did, you know, yeah. on the uh, on Dubai Friday, they did talk about the doodler who was the 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 school uh, superintendent who actually w- this was a. It's close um, to you, right? Like school, really, really close to me, yeah. like, like a couple towns over. Um, uh, and and he got in a lot of trouble, and he got uh, suspended from his job, and he might even be fired from his job. Um, but he apparently has a condition that runners get, where you just f- suddenly have the urgent need to go, and you just have to, you just have to go. So. And again, we don't we don't know all the full details. I mean, maybe maybe this guy has uh, this bus driver has a condition like this. Maybe he is his job is such that he doesn't have time to find a bathroom, which is not right. Like right that 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 should be. I mean, we should you know I mean you know we shouldn't dump on bus drivers. They're they're performing a very important function, and they should have time in their day for a bathroom break. Right now, what he did was not great, but I mean, who knows? Right? Maybe this guy literally doesn't have five minutes. Uh, and this is what he has to do, right? right. Because he, he needs to relieve himself. I mean, so, and that's just not right, right? Like that should be, we should fix that. That's not a, that's not a, we shouldn't have bus drivers that don't have time in their day to to have a bowel movement, right? That's just not, that's just not the kind of society that I want to live in. No, no, exactly. And, and yeah, I mean, you, you bring up a lot of, you know, real, real, you know, real life points here, right? Like we don't, we don't know the, the situation. We only see the, we only see the outcome and, and we can, we can kind of joke about the outcome, but we don't know what leads to it. Um, I sent you, I sent you another two, mm-hmm. one, one more link that I wanted to talk about related to this that that I had thought about as well. And so, um, the, I've, I've multiple times. I'm I'm more in tune to this because my kids are, are one one of my kids rides a bus to school, and um, the bus driver, um, no opsec. I won't mention her name. She's fantastic. We text her if if Jack's not going to be on the bus or if he is, and she's, she's really great. Um, so by no means am I saying anything about, about our, uh, bus driver, but I, I'm more in tune to this that, um, uh, because my, my kid is in her hands for an hour and a half a day, uh, as she mm. drives this like massive bus, um, I've, I've seen headlines and, you know, in my Twitter feed and, and different areas about um, bus drivers drinking on the job, you know, that, that they've been arrested for drinking. Um, and so the question that I have for you is, does this change at your thought if if this bus driver, because um, we don't know what the contents of that coffee was, maybe he's got some uh, some whiskey in there. It's a, is it a different? Oh, I, I, I did. I well, I thought you were going to ask me if I was in favor of drunk driving, and my no, answer would be no. Yeah, yeah, no. no. Well, so yeah, I mean, I suppose right, um, right. We don't uh, know. Vodka or whiskey could be antimicrobial, and that might have again, still not a best practice, still not no. what I would recommend. Um, yes, it might be more beneficial. Um, in terms of causing a microbial reduction, I don't know. I don't know to what extent people have studied um, 
uh, alcohol, like like drinking alcohol as sanitizers. We have talked before on the podcast that um, alcohol does appear to exert a protective effect. So when they do um, case control studies um, uh, for foodborne disease outbreaks, um, people that have had um, some alcoholic drinks while they were eating the food that might have made some people sick, those people have a less a lower likelihood of of um, of getting sick because of the interaction of the alcohol with the bacteria, the micro, the pathogenic microorganisms in your stomach. So, and we do know that, you know, uh, alcohol-based sanitizers are effective. Um, but I don't think Ben, I would be very surprised if somebody has studied, um, uh, you know, bourbon on a uh, bus seats contaminated by driver poop. <laughs> You're right, right, right. So, um, I go to, go to the internet, uh, as you, uh, as you talk about it and all I have found is a Quora forum <laughs> there uh, you go. that is how good is liquor as a disinfectant. And, um, uh, Justin Lowry, who is a software designer, um, answers this, uh, this question has 1.6 million answer views. And his answer is it all depends on the percentage of alcohol in the liquor, AKA the proof. The higher the proof, the better it will disinfect. The good news is all alcohol bottles, at least in the U.S., have to state the proof on the label, so just look there. Now, I will say nothing is better than medical-grade isopropyl rubbing alcohol because it's much stronger for smaller wounds. Uh, anyway, um, I think that, no, that's, that's that not Justin, exactly right. But Right, right. I don't, yeah. I don't anyway. think Justin is uh, uh, what we would um, suggest is uh, – uh, providing an evidence-based answer here. Uh, well, here's the thing, Ben. Um, do you want you and me designing your software? No. Do you want Justin giving food safety advice? No. Okay. No, exactly. So, uh, and, and, but I mean, he, he does have some science here and does have some some information here. And he's right. Like 80 proof is 40%. Um, we yep, know that, that's a fact. Um, yep, that's, <laughs> that's good. Um, uh, and and yeah, and, and, and basically uh, you would need 160 proof or 140 proof um, <clears throat> to match what is typical, um, you know, uh, off the shelf isopropyl, uh, alcohol concentration and the, and the most effective, con generally the, the most effective concentration. Um, and that's a pretty, pretty high proof. So again, better than nothing, probably better than water. Um, but again, yeah, not, not, uh, what was you said? Not evidence-based. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, not evidence-based. Uh, this does remind me of, uh, some stuff that I've done with, uh, Matt Shipman and trying to answer, um, the, the question of, um, what if, can I make raw eggnog or eggnog with raw eggs and then put a bunch of, uh, rum in it, um, and, or whatever I want to put in, in my, in my eggnog and will that kill any of the pathogens? And so there was a, um, a paper in, um, oh, where was it? The, uh, what, what you kind of alluded to a 2010, um, investigation into the antimicrobial effects of wine, um, and, uh, there was, uh, another experiment that I think it was someone at F MIT. I didn't link to it here, uh, did where they showed some reduction in salmonella. If you kept, uh, your eggnog, a, um, you put your alcohol in it, let it sit for 24 hours. So maybe let's like bringing it back to poop, poop, poop in a bag bus driver situation. If there was, uh, some alcohol in the cup, and it sat there for some time. It may be a little more protective than just pouring coffee on it. Right, right. And it's, so, it, so it's about the it's about the co the concentration, and it's about contact time, right? And longer yep. contact time is is uh, is definitely better. Yep. Yeah. See, there you go. We we can answer these questions. Bring them, sure. bring them on, bring them on, people. 
Uh, oh, speaking of, speaking of answering questions, yes. I, before we completely leave uh, Dubai Friday, <clears throat> I do want to give a shout out to the folks on the uh, Dubai Friday Discord, uh, which is a uh, – I'm not going to try to explain what Discord is to you, but it's basically a – it's about a chat. You are going to – let's, let's call it. Hang on. You are going to kind of explain it. <laughs> Let's call it a chat room. Yeah, thank you. I'm not going to explain it, but but what it is is <laughs> what I meant to say is I'm not going to explain it well. Please 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 email Ben with your please, corrections. Don't email um, me things. Don't email. Please don't email um, emails. No, I'm joking. Uh, so what it is is basically a, a chat uh, chat chat community um, uh, all around Dubai Friday. And if you anyway, you should you should check it out. We'll we'll do we'll we'll make a, we'll put in the show notes. We'll put a link to the uh, Reddit. Um, area that talks about the discord server. So, which is, which will have information on how to get there. And I did a, basically I didn't ask me anything, um, on the discord server, um, uh, last Saturday, I think it was, and it was a lot of fun and it was completely overwhelming. It's like trying to drink from a fire hose, people shooting questions at you and trying to answer them as, as fast as I can, uh, using Siri to dictate my responses. And it was, it was just a lot of fun. So if there's any folks that were on the discord, um, thanks, uh, thanks for, uh, letting me spend an enjoyable, if uh, a little bit crazy, hectic, um, one hour, uh, trying to answer your questions. So lots of, lots of great, uh, lots of great answers. I didn't have to say, uh, as, as Max pointed out on Twitter, I didn't have to say um, I'm not that kind of doctor uh, to too many uh, folks who answer, right. who ask questions. Nice, nice. Um, uh, speaking of uh, of what you're, um, th- that idea of a ask me anything, I'm I'm doing this thing uh, this week uh, at a uh, here at NC State. Um, on public science and I'm trying to find the, um, oh, cool. yeah. So I'm trying to find the thing, uh, that it's called. So on Thursday night at hunt library and, uh, and I'm going to, um, if you're listening to this and you're in Raleigh, um, this, this episode should post, uh, uh, before this is so Thursday, November, um, 15th. And it is called never home alone, a gala of stories, foods, and insights from the study of life in homes. And uh, it's my my friend Rob Dunn who has written uh, multiple books. Uh, he's a, a fantastic writer, um, uh, and this is sort of the launch for a new book of his, where he investigated sort of microbiology of um, mi- microbiomes of homes, uh, entomology. Really, uh, he takes oh a, cool yeah, it's very very cool stuff. Very cool citizen science approach where um, he he uh, did this study a, a couple of years ago where. Um, they sent out um, thousands and thousands of swab kits to people to get them hmm. to swab their belly buttons to get a sense of oh belly yeah button. yeah so the belly button study um, he did some really great work um, over the last couple of years that he and I have talked about on um, sourdough uh, starter cultures mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. different microbiome and he um, he's also done um, collected a bunch of data. Um, and hasn't published it, and you know, are, are sort of thinking about what the best way to do this is on um, microbiome of cutting boards, um, mm. in, dur, dur, you know, similar similar kind of approach. Anyway, um, this gala is uh, Thursday night, and I'm going to be there, and it's kind of a cool setup where there are um, about 30 or 40 scientists that do kind of public science and citizen science stuff around um, homes, and 
Um, we're all kind of like set up around a room and, you know, with easels. And if you want to come, people want to come and ask. And then we have like these t-shirts like, Hey, I know about food science, uh, or food safety. Ask me anything about food safety. Uh, and, and we walk around and talk about science to the people, nerds that, that are interested in this. It's a very, very cool approach. I'm excited about it. That's, it sounds like a lot of fun. I am, uh, if you can, uh, send a link, uh, for yes. show notes, that would be great. I'm having trouble finding it. I'm Googling, uh, lots of relevant words, but what's mostly keeps coming up is, um, the movie home alone. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's different. It's a different, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's not that it's not that. So I, very yeah, good. Thanks. I just sent you a link to it. And uh, yep, so it's got it. very, I'm, I'm really excited. It's a, it's a cool, cool concept. Um, before, um, before we move move on from this, because we have a lot, a bunch of really cool listener feedback this week that I'm I'm excited to get get to. Uh, but before we do, before we do, I before said we one do, one more thing. Well, yeah. So, so I have you been part of the IAFP um, student mentorship program? Uh, I have. So, you, did are you doing that this year as well? Do you did it last uh, year? I, I, yeah, I, so I have mentored a friend of the show, uh, Caitlin Casuli. Oh, um, of course. Uh, uh, yeah, that was when we actually first, uh, first met, uh, well, not when we first met, but when we first like, you know, had like spent like, you know, more than just hanging out in, in a, in a room, um, uh, when I was giving a talk at uh, Michigan state. So, um, I, I have, oh, I always put my hand up if they ask, I don't think I've been assigned anybody. So I don't think I'm doing it this year. Oh, well, so this year's really cool. I didn't do it last year. I, um, I missed the because I'm terrible at deadlines and I don't fill things out very well. So I got an email and it was like, oh, do you want to do this? And I was like, of course I do. And and then I, I just left, left that email in my inbox and missed it. This So I don't know if it worked the same way this year as, as it did in the, in the past, but we're having sort of like weekly, not weekly, monthly 30-minute calls with our mentees in the, in the office. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. And, and so um, shout out to, um, to Meg Kirchner. Um, and Lester, Lester, Lester's last name, uh, uh, Schollenberg, Schoenberg, um, Lester does really cool. So I, I'm embarrassed cause Lester and I've talked a bunch and, um, he does really great stuff on, um, the interface between, um, food waste and, uh, emergency food situations and, and food safety, which is something that you and I have talked about. Anyway, mm-hmm. Meg and Lester, um, every month sent out like, uh, um, topics like things that you want, might want to talk about with your, with your mentor or mentee. Um, oh, cool. And, and so, yeah, so this, this one was, what are you the things that you do outside of the classroom in your professional work that, that lead to, um, a, a, a more richer, um, professional life or, and, and so, um, my mentor and I, I won't, um, I haven't, I won't, uh, reveal her name. Um, but she's a really, really great, uh, graduate student, um, in, in a, at a school in the Midwest. And, uh, she and I've been talking, uh, monthly just about stuff, um, related to food safety. And one of the things that I shared with her about this question was the importance that in, in, for, for me philosophically and in my career of stepping outside of the classroom and being involved in stuff like this, this thing that I'm doing with Rob done on Thursday, uh, uh, is science, you know, science cafes, uh, public lectures at a museum. Um, the, the first year that I was here at NC state. Um, so it's um, nine years ago, uh, or sorry, I don't know, 10 years ago, whatever it is, uh, from right now around Thanksgiving, I think it was the Friday before Thanksgiving. I, I, uh, invited a bunch of specialists who do food related things to just a, a beer talk at a, at a bar right across from, 
um, campus to talk about the science uh, and, and food safety and the science behind food safety of how foods get to your table at Thanksgiving. And so I had someone talk about cranberries and, and it would like talk is I'm, I'm using Richard fingers for this. It was really just a, a discussion. We were all sitting around drinking beers and, and we would all, you know, uh, as there were members of the public, uh, came and sat around, um, they asked questions like a Q and a about, well, what, what do people do to keep Turkey safe and what can I do and how do cranberries get to us and what is, what's in stuffing? Um, and, and, and just the science of that. And so anyway, I talked to, to my, my mentee about, about that stuff. Um, and so this is, I guess a, a call out to, to listeners, there are, there are these types of opportunities. You're, if you're in the food safety world, new nerd world, um, there are these kinds of opportunities that you may not be aware of and you don't get connected with because you might not know that they're going on. Seek them out because they're so – it's been so rewarding for me um, personally to be part of these things because you get to you get to take your science out to, to real people and and that, you know, as a – as someone who is a a, 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 a public, you know, state employee, publicly funded scientist, it, it it's important that that we were accessible, that we're not just doing these things um, for for our own benefit, but but we're we're sharing what we do and and trying to increase the trust in science and, and the transparency and openness. And so there's so so look look for these things and go participate in them because they're awesome. Yeah, no, this sounds this sounds fantastic, and I've I've also put um, <clears throat> Rob's book on my uh, wish list because it looks like a really cool uh, really cool book. So he's he's a yeah. fantastic writer as well. So he's one of those yeah. guys where you read and you're like, why can't I write like that? <laughs> <laughs> you can, Ben. You can. I I can I I mean maybe, but he's it's it's yeah. I'm in awe of uh, of him. He's uh, he's a he's a rock star. Cool. Very cool. So, so should we should we do some listener feedback? Yes, let's do some listener feedback. All right. So this, uh, let's go with. Uh, the, we'll do this in reverse uh, chronological order, oldest to newest. And so we'll start with um, a listener who I'm going to call uh, Deep Pump, um, and she says, "My inquiry is broadly regarding what science there is behind safe handling practices of human milk for infant consumption. There is a ton of guidance, recommendations, and advice, but I'm curious as to what data is behind these." <clears throat> One specific question would be, why shouldn't freshly pumped breast milk be mixed with that put in the fridge a couple hours before? Also, while obviously dealing with a high-risk consumer with no kill step, what are our organisms of concern? And so um, this was this was a really good question. I did not try to answer it in email like I sometimes will do because I thought we should do a literature search. And I did I did a bit of a literature search and I did find um, a couple of different things. Um, but um, I don't know what, so what, let's, so let's do this. Let's, let me, let me ask you for your thoughts on the subject and then I will uh, talk a little bit about what I found when uh, I looked on the internet. Yeah, no. And, and thanks for you know, sort of starting the digging on this. Cause I, the, there's a couple papers that, that you found that I think help a little bit answer this question, but I, I think that this is one of those questions where, um, I, and I guess there, there are a few questions. Um, I don't know 
if there's a whole lot of data behind it. I guess that's my uh, the the recommendations out there. But I wanted to tackle the f- the second question of why shouldn't freshly pumped milk be mixed with that that's put in the fridge a couple hours before, and and I wonder if. Um, this the I, I think that recommendation is based on post pumping contamination potential of that milk, and I would zero in on um, listeria as as the, the the pathogen of concern of probably where that recommendation came from, and and I think that just like a, a sort of a game of broken telephone, um, in in and we see this in lots of food safety messages that. Um, that message may be um, that tacked on of a couple hours before may or that 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 part of it may be tacked on just by someone theoretically like saying, well, you know, what you should never add to to previously pump milk. And I and I think that where that recommendation came from was if there is storage of it and it might have been. Um, uh, contaminated in the in the post pumping situation or in the container um, in that kitchen environment where I would expect to see some listeria, you may get some growth, and you don't want to add um, uh, new quote good milk or non listeria milk to something that might have been potentially contaminated and growing. You want to have some sort of like a clean break that that you know we would talk about in the in the food industry. I think that's where that came from. I think two hours is. If you know if that's the if that's the case is not um is is too is way too short like I think that's that that part I don't know what kind of data is on it. The other thing that I thought about with this one and I didn't have a lot of um uh, of luck in this I wondered if that that um message about um it had something to do with degradation of nutrients in that breast milk over over time and and it I know when when Danny was um, when we had our you know our kids were young, um, she would she would pump and then freeze a lot of milk and not so you know maybe that that has a um, uh, a, a good you know a, a, a preservative um, effect on on nutrients. I don't remember a lot of like pumping and refrigerating um, and storage at all. But that's that's something that I didn't have a whole lot of luck on on what the the nutrient aspect is and if that's why that that message is there yeah and so i'll so i did uh and it's it's unfortunate that google scholar does not have a a really nice easy way to like save a bunch of links but when i googled um human breast milk safety what i found was a whole lot of research on um, uh, chemicals, right? So in other words, uh, you know, uh, risk assessment in triclosan and human breast milk, uh, transfer of drugs and therapeutics into human breast milk, drug excretion in human breast milk, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's there, you know, you can, you can do a different search and you find some more microbiologically oriented answers. And there are, uh, there were three, um, uh, three articles that I, that I, uh, I found one, and we'll link to all of these in show notes, uh, technique, for the storage of human breast milk, um, and then it goes on from there, colon, it goes on from there, from the European uh, Journal of Pediatrics from 2000. Um, there was one on uh, bactericidal activity of human milk stability during storage uh, in the British uh, Journal of Biomedical Sciences, 2006, and then cold storage of human milk effect on bacterial composition um, from 2009 in the Journal of Pediatric Gastroenterology and Nutrition. Um, 
And so basically, I mean, the bottom line is that, yeah, there's not um, if I mean, there certainly is lots of advice. Yes. But I would come yeah. back to your earlier comment that uh, how much of that advice is science based? I don't know. I agree with your assessment of why somebody might be told not to mix freshly pumped milk with milk that was a couple hours old. Um, but I mean, so I guess the question is like, how worried are you about the contamination from milk, uh, you know, taking quote unquote fresh milk and, and contaminating it with, with milk that's a couple hours old? I think the risk is of combining that is relatively small. I mean, you should, you know, practice good sanitary technique. Um, you know, we know that breast milk contains microorganisms that are beneficial. I mean, part of why breastfeeding is recommended is that it helps establish the GI tract uh, of the infant. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't, I, again, l- lots of advice kind of short on, on the, the science aspects of it. So, um, yeah. And the organisms of concern, I would say the primary organisms of concern, you mentioned listeria. I would say another one, uh, would be staphylococcus just because it can be found on the skin. And oh, yeah. if you temperature abuse the milk, you could get staphylococcus growth. I mean, staph is one of those organisms that we see in cow's milk, uh, because the cows can be, um, either, uh, infected, um, or, or the organism can just naturally be found there. Um, but again, Staphylococcus will not grow uh, under refrigeration conditions. I suppose another organism that might be of concern would be Bacillus cereus, um, because it it can uh, cause um, it can grow in milk, um, and there are some strains that are psychotrophic, but or psychrophilic, but. Again, um, incidents uh, are, are small. It would require um, long-term storage or a lot of temperature abuse before you'd get up to the high enough levels of Bacillus cereus to cause illness. And so um, generally speaking, I mean, I think breast milk is, is pretty safe. Um, and if you refrigerate it and you use it up within 24 to 48 hours and your refrigerator is at a good temperature, I think those are – honestly, as long as you're doing those things, you're fine. And then if, if you freeze it, yeah, that's going to extend the shelf life. Um, it may affect the quality and the palatability to the infant. I don't know. It, freezing it will kill some microorganisms, probably good microorganisms and bad. Um, so, but yeah, but generally speaking, I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, as long as you just follow common sense practices, I think you should be okay. And then certainly that two-hour uh, recommendation seems a little a little not science-based to me. Yeah. Yeah, and the, that's the that's a thing that is um, interesting. As I went through some of these references uh, in the papers that, that that you dug up, is there there is a, a couple, and this is like really you know minor. It's not like a widespread um, situation of um, breast milk leading to illness in in kids from a microbial standpoint. But in these situations, it's not been um, a post, um, post-pumping post uh, contamination issue. Um, in, in the cases that are, that are cited, it's um, a, an infection within the mother, mm. uh, either listeria or salmonella being passed through, through the breast milk to the kid. So, so that, I mean, going back to the, the storage question, none of those situations would have anything to do with storage, right? Like if there was, if it was getting past in the breast milk, adding it, 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 you know, two hours later, it's all of a sudden not going to get, uh, uh, pass is pretty unlikely, right? Like, and it, and it's, it's a whole, that's a whole different situation. 
Right. And I would say, yeah. And if you have uh, a, an infection or you think you may have an infection in your breast, for sure, don't don't feed breast milk to your kid. Right. Like get that infection and get that infection treated. Yeah. Well, yeah, this absolutely. Is, yeah. yeah. This is one that, you know, as we kind of go down this path a little bit, salmonella um, is one of the ones that, that that's uh, cited. So there's a um, an article that was uh, published in 1990. Um, mother's milk, uh, unusual factor of infection transmission to salmonellaosis um, epidemic on a newborn award. Um, and in, in this case, um, what, um, what it looks like happened was that well, there was one um, individual um, who was infected and was passing it through but wasn't um, – uh, was asymptomatic. And that's one of the things we know about salmonella is you can be asymptomatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so tough, tough one. Uh, but, but anyway, going back to the original question, I, um, I, it's really, I, I, as you said, a human human milk and, and the practice of pumping and storage, in in my mind and, and based on the evidence and stuff that's out there, is is very very low risk for foodborne illness. Yeah, for for sure, and we will we will link to this um, um, uh, review of breast milk associated neonatal salmonella ins- infections, which which talks about that that outbreak as well as some others. But again, that's this is a quite a, a rare thing, and I think just sort of good, you know, common sense um, uh, storage practices is going to get you most of the way where you need to be. Yeah. So. Um, ben, do you want uh, do you want um, free content um, for our website oh, or our my blog? Gosh. Yeah, I mean, I haven't. All, all, all he would respect expect in return is just a backlink. Yeah, I want. Uh, I always want free content, and I've got backlinks to for days. Um, just emailing you to know. Uh, oh my gosh! Again, Don says, "Don't reveal my name or message content on the air." We've kind of revealed the message content on the air, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't listen, so he'll never know. Yeah, I guess we just put the backlink in the main body of the article, right? You know, let's put the backlink right here in the podcast. Okay, here's your backlink. Boom. <laughs> We're backlink AF. You're back. <laughs> yeah, you're backlinked all the way down. Um, all right. So let's uh, on to some more serious feedback. Um, so uh, you can read my message, but not my name. Uh, so I'm going to. What am I going to call this person? Uh, deep egg. Deep, uh, deep, deep eggs. pickle. Deep. <laughs> um, hey, I found a recipe for miso pickled eggs, which suggests I could reuse the miso in several batches. Um, and we'll link to the article that he found. Do you have any thoughts on how safe it is to reuse the miso in the recipe? Um, uh, uh, ben, your thoughts on miso reuse? Yeah, I, I would I would go ahead and um, and do it. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, I mean this is this is a thing. So uh, and I'll I'll uh, take your crib notes a little bit on this. I did not investigate miso. I was interested in the pH, but I also um, couldn't find it. And then you had yep. already said, hey, there's it's really high salt content. So so I guess the idea here is I've got a bunch of miso. I'm dropping some boiled eggs into it, pickling them, and then I'm going to take those pickled eggs out, and then I'm going to reuse that miso um, over over time. High salt content, especially if it's done under refrigerated um, conditions, um, would I can't see this being a human pathogen um, concern. Uh, the spoilage would probably happen over time, but I mean, I think it would be pretty, pretty unlikely that kind of salt content. Right. And let's, and let's talk about the recipe though, because this is kind of interesting. And so this, this again reveals my naivete with regard to miso. Okay. So what miso is not 
a liquid, right? It is a solid right. product. And so the 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 step the step the second step is working with one egg at a time with lightly dampened hands, spread two tablespoons of the miso in the palm of one hand, set the egg in the middle, fold the miso around the egg, spreading it to cover the egg entirely. Carefully transfer the egg to a large, sturdy, resealable plastic bag. Repeat with remaining miso and eggs. Okay. So and then step three, wipe the miso off the eggs, save the miso for another pickling. So what you are most definitely doing is inoculating that miso with whatever it is that's on your hands, right? And we do know that Staphylococcus is salt tolerant. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it's going to survive in in high uh, salt, or it's not going to grow in in miso that's that's ten or twelve percent salt. So I would say for sure, if if low if low salt miso is a thing, for sure don't use that for this recipe. Okay, um, and then if it's refrigerated, it's probably okay. But but just keep in mind that whatever is on your hands is most definitely going into that miso. And so certainly, if you um, uh, you know be be careful about hand sanitation, right? Changing diapers, picking up pet poop. Um, if you are sick, if somebody in your household is sick, um, be real careful about this particular recipe. Now, I suppose one, one solution would be you could take the miso, put it into a plastic bag, put the egg in the plastic bag, and then do this wrapping process. Um, but, but with not touching it with your bare hands, right? So, so, you know, or, or you could use gloved hands, I suppose. So that would be a way to reduce the risk. Um, but I would say relatively low risk. But again, the big question mark here is that is just knowledge about the pH and the salt content of miso, which is I you know probably going to be quite variable. Um, so yeah, so those that's um, yeah, that's that those are those are my uh, continued thoughts on that. Cool, cool. Um, I yeah, nothing to add other than I as we were talking about this. I googled sort of miso soup staph aureus or miso staph aureus and came up uh, with an article from 2006 called The Effect of Miso Soup Containing Natto on the Composition and Metabolic Activity of the Human Fecal Flora. So if you eat some miso soup um, every, every day for 14 days, uh, according to this study, it will um, increase your bacillus and bifidobacterium and decrease uh your clostridium perfringens well very very cool so i i did a little bit of googling here while you were talking and i found a research note from journal of food protection uh entitled the evaluation of the bacteriological safety of low salt miso oh. um by nobumasa tanaka of the famous tanaka model and then uh, you'll also recognize um uh, michael p doyle as the senior author on this paper from the food research institute um and basically uh, what they found was um Clostridium botulinum uh, did not produce toxins. Staph aureus, Salmonella, and Yersinia progressively died in all of the misos held at either 10 or 25 degrees C. Um, the miso samples were obtained from Japan, uh, 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 which and those two were 3.75 and 5.79% salt. California, 2.36% salt and had water activities of 0 0.84, 0.83, and 0. 875 and pH of 5.2, 5.3, and 4.7. So wow! So that's I I that's did not pretty, find this yeah. when I first 
first did a search, but that is, uh, that's, that's awesome. So what that means is that even low salt miso is going to be relatively resistant. And so uh, I would still stand by my suggestion to not use low salt miso, but to use high salt miso. But apparently at least these particular misos show that the risk is relatively low. So thanks to, uh, um, doctors uh, Tanaka and Doyle and uh, all the other folks in in the middle of that um, author list whose names I don't recognize. Yeah. Um, well, cool. That's cool. Good job. Um, all right. So moving on to uh, another feedback from uh, Deep New England, uh, one of our um, favorite listeners and uh, um, uh, individuals who gives us lots of lots of material. Um, uh, Deep New England writes, um, hi, I'm sure you've been following FDA's conclusions re Yuma, Arizona, Romaine contamination. A colleague asked me the question, did they say what the level of contamination was? I can't find it in the reports I've seen, but you kids that meaning you and I, have ins with the FDA and maybe you could let us know. I, that's very kind of you to think, but we don't. Um, we, yeah, we, we, they, they don't even tell us like I, the most I got. So I went to give a talk. Uh, I think we talked about this. I went to give a talk at FDA and the most I got from Mickey Parrish was I can't come to your talk because I'm in a meeting about an outbreak. Uh, and I knew, I knew not to ask him what the outbreak was. I think it probably was this uh, cake batter, uh, this cake, uh, uh, Duncan Hines cake, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. I think that's what it was that he was talking about, but no, they, they don't tell us anything. They, I mean, maybe if you catch them in a bar after they've had a few drinks and you really pressure them. But I, I know like Mickey is, he's, uh, uh, I'm, I'm glad that my tax dollars buy his silence. Um, but, but on the other hand, I wish that he would sometimes let stuff slip, but, but yeah, he, he, he's, he's promised, he's promised to open the kimono and, and reveal all the secrets after he retires from FDA. So we're, we're uh, ready. We're, we're ready. We're Tuesday, ready. Tuesdays with Mickey is going to be our new podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, anyway, so we don't really know, but I think I mean I, I'll let you take the the answer on this because I think you um, you did a you did a really well. I mean, as always, Don, you did a really good job. But um, we often, almost never, um, know what the level of contamination is in in, in anything. Um, that leads to an outbreak and the, the really like basic, um, not basic in a way like, Oh, you, everyone should know this, but the, the biggest thing is, um, outbreak investigations happen so far after the time, after the time, unless it's a shelf stable product, we usually aren't finding anything in product. Um, and even if we did find it in product, so say this leafy green product was sampled in someone's home and we found a pathogen, um, the, enumeration of it at the time that it was found in that package at home almost doesn't matter because we don't know all the conditions it was in after the fact. So there could be lots of potential for growth if there's temperature abuse along the the continuum of from a farm, all the way, you know, post processing, bagging, transport, retail into someone's home. So it's it's hard for us to 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 guess about levels of contamination from endpoints. But you you did some work on on this going back to 2006, right? Yeah, so let's so a couple of things. So first of all, we will link to the press announcement that uh, Deep New England gave to us. Um, I did a little bit more digging, and there's another web page which we will also link to, which is a comprehensive summary of FDA's findings. And and there's you know these these are big long uh, documents, and so you have to if you're a busy person like me, you have to get good at scanning. But I will read 
to what I think is the relevant text from from the second link. Um, so, quote, three of these samples were found to contain E. coli 157H7, and here we're talking about samples from Yuma, with the same rare genetic fingerprint um, that made people sick. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. These three samples were collected in early June from a 3.5-mile stretch of an irrigation canal near Welton in Yuma County that delivers water to farms in the local area, including several identified in the traceback as having potentially shipped romaine lettuce contaminated with the outbreak strain. Boy, FDA, are, is our periods expensive? Um, you, yeah, I could, I, you could write that with a, a bunch of shorter sentences, but that's just me. Okay, continuing on. This strain of E. coli 157H7 was not detected in any other samples collected during this EA, where EA is... Um, emergency assessment, assessment I yeah, don't, yeah, yeah. yeah so so again um, you know pl- pl- you know acronyms don't get me started okay no acronyms lots of periods that's how I write um uh, okay, because the Yuma region's growing here, here we're getting to the punchline. Because the Yuma region's growing season had concluded weeks before the EA started, no leafy greens were available for sampling and testing by the EA team. So there's no way they could find it in the product because the, because of the timeline, as Ben said earlier. And uh, even if they had it. Um, they couldn't. Uh, they they wouldn't probably have gotten the concentration. So, uh, what what happens in these outbreaks is a match between environmental samples and human fecal samples, but there's no actual food samples in between. Um, now, there were actually some some food samples that were. Uh, where the prevalence was detected in the 2006 outbreak. And, and in the paper that I co-authored with Michelle Danilock, we actually used that information to kind of back ourselves into a most probable number estimation using some, you know, I would say we were playing fast and loose with the MPN technique there, but but basically to try to figure out what the concentration uh, might have been. Um, I also want to point out, based on uh, Danilock and Schaffner, that um, the uh, which was the 2006 outbreak, our calculations showed that that outbreak of that size could be caused by one in 1,000 positive servings. So that means for one, every 1,000 servings, only one had pathogenic E. coli in it. And in that one positive serving, the level was one cell in 10 grams and with an assuming an 80 gram serving size. So that's about eight cells, um, uh, ingested. Um, now it turns out, um, uh, based on some work that we haven't published yet, uh, where we evaluated our growth model with some other growth models, that growth model that we assumed in that paper significantly under predicts growth, which means, okay, that the actual outbreak, the, the outbreak could have been caused by levels that are even smaller than the levels that we assume. Because in our model, under some circumstances, the bacteria grew. We used a very, cons- uh, very I would say, well, it depends on what you mean by cons- <laughs> liberal or conservative, but we used a growth model a that underestimated. Exactly. Um, we used a very liberal model, a, a model that that erred on the side, not a, the, uh, erred on the side of safety, which you never want to do. You always want to use a conservative model, which errs on the side of uh, danger. So, but we didn't. We, we and we didn't know at the time. There weren't any models. We made the best model we could. Turns out it was probably a it erred in the wrong direction. But what that means is that uh, if you if you kind of go back from that, what that means is that you could we could have had an, an even smaller level of contamination causing an outbreak the size of the one. Uh, that, that happened in 2006. And so um, bottom line is 
you know, if you want an answer, the answer is you can have an outbreak like this with very low concentration and very low prevalence as well, um, uh, just because of the large number of servings involved. So, yep, yep. and well, and and this, I, I, it. it Harkens back to questions that that we have had I, off the podcast and on the podcast in the past, which is, well, if it's so low, what's a producer to do, right? Like, let's do do we all just throw our hands up in the air and, and walk away from from it and say, well, there's nothing we can do because it may be as you know as, as you um, as I'll articulate as as succinctly as I can one poop turd in a field of um in a field of spinach in the 2006 case or one um you know fecal contamination event in a in a canal that gets spread throughout um you know multiple fields in in this uh, most most recent romaine situation and i know it's i know it's frustrating um from from the industry standpoint um of well what are we what are we supposed to do cuz it it takes so little and and we can't we can't test or or treat every milliliter of water that we're going to apply and and the thing that um and i I don't want to sound too preachy here the thing is that what we have to do is try our best right we have to be reducing risk we have to be managing what we can as much as we can paying attention to what the hazards are understanding where contamination might come from and we got to we have to do something um, and because by doing, can, yeah, can I tell you what I would do? What would you do? I would not use irrigation canals that ran close to contr- uh, large uh, feeding operations with tons and tons of cattle and p- cattle poop. Yeah. Okay. This isn't. This is a no-brainer. I mean, I hate to dump on the people, uh, the growers in Yuma, but. They knew this situation. They knew this animal feeding operation was there. They knew the irrigation canals ran past it. Um, that's just a bad idea. And, and, and I think ultimately the long-term solution is to find low-cost, effective ways of treating irrigation water, right? But until we have those, you have to be really careful what you, where you get your irrigation water from. And, and sourcing irrigation water that that is possibly contaminated with animal feces because of the way that the animal feeding operation is located where it's located it's just a bad idea it's a disaster waiting to happen yeah no absolutely and 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 so i mean it comes back to you got to do something right like like right you, you you can't just and and the the straw man argument of well if i don't use that water then i don't have any water it's like okay then how are you going to make sure that you're not making you know hundreds of people sick from uh you know nano 157 uh e coli uh, cuz it's not it's not it's not reasonable to take the approach that i'm we're we can't do anything or we're we're um we we don't have tools to um to, to do this and it's just okay that people get sick. And, and I, and I think that there is, I, I, I don't say that to be trite. I, I think that there is a, an attitude of that out there in, in some uh, small portion of the, of, of the growing um, uh, community. And, and I, and I think that there is some attitude like that also, unfortunately in a small portion of the, um, the scientists that support that, 
um, that, that sector, whether they're food safety scientists or, or other um, extension or production folks, right? Like it's, I think there's, there's something out there and it's, and that's, to me, it's, that's just not, it's not good enough. You gotta, yeah. you, you gotta do better. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I agree. And, and it, yeah, it's, huh, yeah, I don't know what to do, but yeah. Anyway, we should move on. To the we next. should. Well, and I got something. <laughs> we can, so yeah, yeah let, let me, so next, uh, next piece of feedback, um, is, uh, came in, um, via, via email. And I can't remember if we've, um, given, given this person a, uh, a name or not, but, uh, we'll go f- in the, in the short term with, um, uh, with, with, um, deep, deep Duncan. Um, and, and so the message is from a long, you know, long time listener, uh, not a first time emailer, uh, who says, um, still enjoying the podcast. Thanks for the work. Um, I, I feel every time I listen, I get some sort of new insight or trigger some sort of inter- interesting discussion with other folks in the industry. And and here's one. Here's an example. I don't know why, but the below recall fascinates me, kind of like the gold medal flower recall did, and the blow uh, recall that that he uh, that Deep Duncan references is uh, is a um, Salmonella um, triggered recall um, for Duncan Hines classic white, classic butter golden uh, cl- signature confetti and classic yellow cake mixes um, due to uh, to Salmonella. <laughs> I feel like that's Merlin reading a Amazon uh, product name. <laughs> I think you're right. It is. I think this is what what is Tiff eating? Uh, signature <laughs> confetti, classic yellow oh, quinoa. She's, she's not eating this. No, no. no yeah, yeah, she's she's got a. Uh, there's it's a, a classic white um, beef tongue. Um, <laughs> so uh, so the and 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 deep Duncan brings up a really interesting point. Right. This is the the interesting part is. It might be because due to baking, it's probably not the actual intended dish that's leading to illness, but cross-contamination. Would you agree? Sounds like the investigation's still in its infancy in this point, so maybe they'll find out it wasn't the cake mix after all. I guess we'll see. Um, and so uh, there's another question, but I want to I want to tackle this one first. And I, I think that um, the you know we we've talked a little bit about flour in the past and gold medal. Um, there was uh, a flour. Um, linked outbreak that was linked to pizza kitchen, pizza in pizza hotel. See if I can find that one for show notes. Um, uh, we, we've had, um, uh, Nestle had a, a flower linked outbreak, um, in 2009. Uh, it was a E. coli 157 outbreak. Um, there was a big flower linked outbreak in Canada from also a non-0157, uh, shigatoxin producing E. coli. The flower, flowers, the, you know, a, a fun one. It's top, top, top of mind. Um, and I think Deep Duncan is probably right that there is some form of cross-contamination here. But I also think, and I, I uh, posted something in Barflog about this. I also think that there's a factor of we how consumers um, uh, handle food and how they consume food is maybe not the way that we're intending them to do from the from the side of the the industry. Which is, I, I my guess, just based on history, is that there's probably also a, a portion of people that are that are at risk for salmonella or E. coli by eating the raw cookie batter or licking the bowl, licking the spatula, whatever it is um, that that they're using. And I say this because my kid last week had a birthday and um, absolutely 
is the first in line to to lick, you know lick the cake batter off of the um, the mixing bowl blades, and not with a not with a running, of course. Like after you take them <laughs> off, that's that's just a, he is your son after all. He is yeah yeah he's risk averse. Um, uh, so so I think that to to deep Duncan's point. Cross contamination is an issue, or could be an issue, could be a factor here. But it, um, consume, consuming this raw is is also something. What we've seen in the other outbreaks, and I'll go back to um, to the gold medal one, is that maybe handling raw pizza dough, raw tortilla dough, as a kid, and then eating some other foods like pizza or tortilla chips with hands after handling that also is probably a risk factor. And that's that's a cross-contamination hand-washing um, issue. But what I want to... What I want to get to is something um, – so you and I, we, we had a plan to do this podcast yesterday, but I had to reschedule because I was doing some stuff. And I was doing some stuff for um, – we'll, we'll say uh, some quick serve food service companies that are, that are national um, in the U.S. And I did some store visits. And at these stores, I went to actually a couple of different types of, of places for two different types of individuals on two different types of projects. And in, in both of them – I was in settings where there's a lot of raw flour in the kitchen, whether they're making biscuits or they're flouring um, uh, um, uh, chicken for for chicken frying. There's a lot of raw flour and that raw flour. If you, if you spend a little bit of time watching and looking gets traipsed along around that kitchen because I, and, and I think that this is where we're getting to, and, and I want to talk to one of the, the managers. No one, no, no one in that setting on the on the front lines of food safety has really been told that raw flour might be a source of pathogens. And so it's it's a thing like you know, raw chicken we know about, right? But this but flour, why would why would we be concerned about? Um, uh, hand washing between handling raw flour. Um, there's a lot of, especially in biscuit making, um, y- there's a lot of pluming, I guess, of flour um, as it gets removed from um, uh, work preparation surfaces, surfaces. As you clean up, it gets moved off. And and I w- I wonder if there's a if there's a risk factor there. And it's probably very very small. But going to Deep Deep Duncan's question, I wonder if there's a, a cross-contamination to other eighty foods in there with just a little bit of flour that ends up on, on someone's other, you know, on their salad or, or burger or whatever um, is being made. And I didn't really have a good – I didn't have the lens of looking at raw flour the way I do now five years ago when I was doing other work in kitchens where there was flour. Um, so, so anyway, I, I think, you know, to, to deep Duncan's point, cross contamination is there handling, um, is, is potential. Um, this one is, is another great example. There's five cases uh, to date of salmonella linked to linked to these, uh, um, these cake mixes, the amount of cake mixing that's going on in this country, that's a really low number of illnesses, right. For, for the amount of product that's, that's out there. Um, and, and, and it's, it, it just shows how much better we are getting to linking these things together and, and saying, okay, we know there's something here with this product, but we also don't have all the information, don't have all the data to say exactly what is it. 
Yeah. So, so a couple of comments there. First of all, I had no idea that this particular chain has this practice for making biscuits. That, that sounds like something that they ought to revisit whether they want to keep well, doing that. Right? And, I, and I'll say there are lots of chains that are making biscuits. Not, not, not all, not all the ones that I mentioned to you in our super secret ta ta uh, 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 text file. Um, and there are lots of chains that are making biscuits because that's their, what they're marketing, right? These are hand-rolled biscuits. This is what people want. We don't want frozen biscuits. And this is what, something that I've learned in the South, right? Like frozen biscuits are, are – you might as well be poop on a bag in a bus. <laughs> and um, and hand-rolled biscuits that are baked right there this morning that has whatever, right? country ham or chicken on them. Is what people what the people want. So they're just you know that's that's the culture. Is well, oh, and, I got to bake and, them. And and so this is going to be just a very slight segue before we get back to food safety. But having having spent time in the South, yes, biscuits are a thing, <laughs> and they are really good. Yeah. And also, um, j last night, we're, so I, I don't know if you know, um, uh, Alton Brown has uh, uh, rebooted his Good Eats show, and he's running a series of episodes called Good Eats Reloaded, where he basically, it's mostly the old show, and he cuts in some new segments and talks about where he was wrong or where he thinks something should be different. And we just watched one um, called the dough also rises, uh, which is, uh, a, a, biscuit show featuring his actual grandmother. And wow, it's just, it's just, I was just like, oh my gosh, I really want a biscuit now. Um, so anyway, <laughs> Alden Brown, um, the dough also rises, uh, season one, episode two of good eats reloaded, uh, highly recommended. So, um, yeah, so Back to this outbreak. So I, I think it's very interesting because um, the the generally speaking, as you mentioned, most of these outbreaks are E. coli 157H7 and not salmonella. There is one outbreak uh, that was a flower salmonella outbreak, which occurred in New Zealand, and we'll we'll link to that. Um, I think the other thing that's interesting about this particular outbreak is that the salmonella strain that's mentioned is one that we don't typically hear about, and it's called, uh, if I'm pronouncing this right, uh, agbeni. A-G-B-E-N-I. Um, this was um, linked to uh, a turtle outbreak um, uh, from uh, pet turtles from, uh, let's see, when was this? This was uh, 2017. Uh, and then there was another outbreak um, uh, linked to uh, of, to an unknown cause, and so we'll link to the Food Safety News article. Uh, it's uh, the headline is "Rare Salmonella Strains Sickened Eight in British Columbia Last Year," and we don't know uh, what the cause was, but I, I suppose it could have been flour. Uh, this unique thing about this particular outbreak was a high percentage of urinary tract infections, and so we really don't know what's going on with that or if it's if it's even related. Um, so. One of the things that CDC says in their outbreak, outbreak report on this is, uh, quote, two ill people reported eating cake the week before their illness began, and one reported eating raw cake mix, but brand information was not available. Now, this is a, an outbreak for sure. It is a very small outbreak. There are only five cases, okay? So it's amazing uh, what we're able to find now with um, uh, whole genome sequencing um, and, and these very, very small outbreaks with only five people. Um, so again, there was enough evidence there 
apparently to compel uh, Duncan Hines, uh, which or to compel Conagra, which is the the company that owns the Duncan Hines uh, Duncan Hines brand, uh, to recall the product. Um, I wanted to, uh, and they recalled several different UPC codes, but uh, the the there was only one that was linked to the outbreak. The other ones were just UPC codes that were processed on the same equipment. Um, if I wanted to know like what was in this, because of course this is a this is not um, f- from scratch flour, right? This is a product that you um, uh, that you buy, and it's just you know you just you make it from um, what uh, what you've got. Uh, oh, God, the link is not working. Um, uh, I got a I got a uh, cut and paste error here. So um, anyway, the um, the the actual if you if you Google the product, you don't find the actual product, but you find basically the uh, Duncan Hines Classic White. Um, cake mix. The first ingredient in that cake mix is actually sugar. And so what I'm wondering is, is there something perhaps related to the fact that the first ingredient is sugar that has somehow made this a higher risk product? And I don't, I don't know. And that just could be my, you know, my, my, as I say in the message to uh, deep, uh, uh, deep Duncan, um, this is probably getting into, um, you know, pretty, pretty crazy speculation as to whether the, 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 high concentration of sugar actually promoted salmonella survival. We don't really know factors. I mean, we're, we're doing a little bit of work on this, but nothing, nothing so extensive as to look at the effect of sugar on how that would impact survival. So that could just be speculation, but it is an interesting, and I'm, I'm sure the sugar was not the source of the contamination. I'm sure it was in fact, uh, the flour of all of the, all of the other uh, ingredients in that. Uh, it's the only one that seems, seems likely, but yeah, sugar and then enriched bleached wheat flour is the second ingredient. And then, uh, wheat starch, leavening, et cetera, and then into the smaller, smaller ingredients. So anyway, um, interesting outbreak. Um, I don't know if we're ever going to learn much more about it since it's very, very small outbreak. And, and again, the recall seems to be pretty comprehensive. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good one. And, um, and, and I, I think we'll continue to see these, right? Like, in, Oh, for in, sure. Right. This is, this is the new, this is the new day in the flower, grain world um we um natalie seymour who works for me um extension associate um she went and gave a talk at um i don't know it was like the miller's association or the grainers association i don't know one of those one of those groups had a really uh bougie uh place in south carolina about flour and in consumer handling she she did um uh, a little bit of work that we presented at IFP a couple of years ago, or maybe it was last year, on um, consumer recipes on Pinterest for low, um, like you know, no no cook bake items where um, uh, where flowers used, cake um, uh, mug cakes, baking cookies mm-hmm. on ca- in cars, all that kind of stuff. And um, and I, I think this is an area that, that we we don't have a lot of really good consumer messaging towards, right? Like most of our most of the things are like, hey, handle meats and poultry, meat and poultry in, in a safe way. Um, but the more we learn about flour, the more we are going to have to get better at those messages. And that was really interesting to the grain association of how do we do that? How do we tell people at the during the holidays don't don't eat a lot of raw cookie dough or don't lick the cake batter? Um, and here's why, and this is what we know about it. And then, what do we do to investigate? What do we know about it? What kind of, um, you know, uh, what are the uh, the prevalence and concentration that we're, that we're talking about, and what what is the mode of cross contamination that we can worry about? And this, you know, this whole idea of of flower plumes and that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah. So there's more 
um, for those who are listening or in the, the research world on this, there are lots of opportunities going, going forward on this stuff. Yep, absolutely. So, um, yeah, so, uh, the next, uh, the next story is, uh, you can read my message, uh, but not my name. Uh, we'll call the, uh, the writer, uh, deep Turkey for reasons that will become obvious in just a minute. Um, I wanted to tell you guys this story as soon as I heard it, but it leads to some questions uh, at home, too. I know the spouse of a store manager in a big chain of stores. The manager is relatively new to this particular location and was unaware of a refrigerated shipping container on the property located with frozen turkeys in anticipation of American Thanksgiving. Or perhaps the manager was aware of the container but not aware of what was powering its refrigeration, a built-in fuel-powered generator. From previous locations, the manager had expected the container to be drawing power from the store. Since nobody had been designated as the person who monitored the fuel level in the generator, the fuel ran out. The manager was really upset about the loss of product. This was tens of thousands of dollars of merchandise lost at a time they wanted to show they had earned their move to the new store. The spouse pointed out the manager was lucky. The manager knew that the turkeys were unfit for sale. If a minion had tried to cover up the mistake by refueling the generator and rephrasing the contents, there could have been an outbreak easily traceable back to that store and bring bad press to the chain. Uh, I, this is deep turkey talking now, thought this was a remarkably food safety conscious thing for the spouse to say. I'm, I'm really, I'm very curious as to who these people are. I know this is amazing. Um, yeah. Uh, but this is, this is really good and, and insightful. So, okay. Um, so, uh, as, as somebody who likes technical solutions to any problem, I think a little cellular radio conveying temperature and fuel level information to real time central monitoring station wouldn't be very expensive to add to the container would pay for itself in just one event like this. But if a nefarious employee had refrozen the container, are there other tells that the quality would be off? Do the containers use an industrial version of the penny on an ice cube trick? Would frozen turkeys be bulging if thawed? I just heard that FST episode today. Um, I saw a gadget on the web that uses four liquids in four chambers. The liquids thaw at different temperatures, so it's possible to tell after an incident how warm the freezer got. Uh, each chamber of the gadget has a number. Uh, if one melted eating the food within that many days, is that even knowable? Um, the gadget can, can be max temperature, but not how long the food has spent there. So um, I've, I've got some thoughts. Uh, before I launch into those, did you have anything you wanted to say? No, it's just, I mean, the, the first thing that, that you mentioned, I I mean, this is a very cool message. So thanks to um, uh, to, to uh, Deep Turkey for this. Um, I, this this is something that um, that comes up, I think, for us uh, in um, in hurricane time as well, where, where sure. we have quite a few um, generator uh, portable freezers, coolers that are available to our retail stores of, in case of power outages. Um, and so I think it's, it's not just like a, you know, um, where you need additional stock in, in, uh, in frozen Turkey time. Um, there are, um, a few different, uh, there are lots of companies that, that do, um, sort of radio, um, uh, uh, let me use the exact words here. Um, a cellular radio conveying temperature. Um, that piece is available by, from from quite a few companies. We're actually doing some work, sort of full disclosure on this, um, doing some work with a company called Testo Solutions. Um, friend of the show, Eric Moore, um, works, works there. Um, we're doing some work on sort of testing different um, – 
uh, implementations uh, and of the this type of technology and what are some of the barriers in a food service setting and we're doing that with our dining services here on campus so sort of building on some of the stuff that that you've done at at Rutgers making that connection with this on um, on campus area where we can actually turn it into a, a laboratory a little bit um, and and so that that uh, technology exists and it's used quite in in the food service world quite extensively um in in retail in retail settings uh because of that uh you know potential for loss and being able to get alerts i don't know of any sort of fuel level information um uh technology that's out there but but it it probably is um and we may have to look to other uh you know somewhere like a hospital um or other um you know emergency situations where you know if a generator goes down in a hospital when there's no power, then people die. So there's probably something out there in that. I was really interested, and I couldn't find it. I don't know if you were able to, but but what Deep Turkey talked about here on this gadget on the web that uses four liquids and four chambers, um, because I think that's a really sort of cheap and, and easy, potentially cheap and easy um, solution to this penny on the um, in a frozen cup uh a question that that you and I have, have tackled in the past. So I, I I'm going to see if I can find some more information on it. Um, and deep deep turkey, if you're listening, um, send me send us uh, an Amazon link or wherever you found it because I'm I'm interested. That might be something that we can share with consumers. So so anyway, what where 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 where, where do you want to go with this question? And I think your mic's off. Geez, sorry. I had it on and then off, and I, I, you know, it's it's not it's not very intuitive. Uh, the interface, the the the, it's it's bright white with no slash when it's not muted, and then anyway, it's I I don't like the I don't like the I don't like I don't like the interface. But anyway, it's just my problem. Um, so, uh, yeah. So I I think that there probably there could have been an outbreak, but I think mostly it would just be a lot of really unhappy people who on Thanksgiving Day opened up their turkey and found that it was spoiled, right? Right, um, right. Because that's what's going to happen more likely than than somebody becoming sick. Um, uh, I I'm a little surprised that a big chain like this doesn't have automatic temperature monitoring, and so maybe again, uh, uh, Deep Turkey, if you can take a message back to the store manager. Like, what's the? Why is there not automatic monitoring here? That that seems like a, a no-brainer. And may, and again, maybe maybe it's just my naivete, and maybe this is a regional chain that's a less, um, you know, that has a smaller budget and just doesn't do it. But but I was a little surprised that that, that didn't exist. Um, I don't think monitoring the fuel is as important as monitoring the temperature because if you get a temperature alert, the temperature is creeping up. Um, if you keep that frozen storage thing cold, somebody can go and get fuel relatively quickly. So, um, and then with only a minor amount of quality loss from, from potential thawing. So I think monitoring the temperature is probably a much better thing to do than monitoring the fuel. Cause you could, you could have something, some other component fail and still have plenty of fuel and the temperature could go up and you right, mostly right. want to know about that. So that's probably the, the more critical factor to look at. Um, uh, I, there might be some indication. Again, you could buy some turkeys and thaw them and, and freeze them and see what happens. I think that there might be some. Uh, my, my speculation was that the juices would pool on the low spot on the package and then refreeze into a hard spot. So there might be some visual indications of a, of a problem there. Um, uh, uh, th this particular technology sounds a little bit like over engineering. There, there's plenty of TTIs 
time temperature indicators or time temperature integrators that are out there. Um, the whole reason why I got into doing predictive modeling in the first place was Ted Labuza came and gave a talk at, at the Rutgers in the early 1990s, where he talked about some of the work that he was doing with these uh, these technologies for milk spoilage. Um, the the problem is is that even now those are uh, relatively expensive to use on a per package basis, and the idea the idea of the technology is that as the temp- the food warms up, the reaction kinetics for the color change uh, speed up, and if you match the reaction kinetics of the color change to the reaction kinetics of spoilage, um, you get um, uh, you get a reliable indicator uh, for 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 quality loss. Um, these te- these are used on pallets of product, uh, but they are not yet used on individual packages for a variety of reasons. One is cost, and the other is that. You know, it might. You don't. You don't want this to be fail dangerous or to be fail safe. You want to match it pretty closely because if the in color indicator indicates the product is not good, but in fact it is good, then you have to throw away a product or not sell a product that would you'd otherwise offer for sale. Um, versus um, if the uh, if the product is unfit for consumption and the indicator doesn't indicate that, then you're selling a product that's not good. So. Um, for better or worse, we're kind of stuck with our our system of putting dates on things and hoping that people control the temperature. But you know that that's anyway that's a, that's an area where I think more technology would definitely help. Huh. So um, yeah, so that's um, uh, that's uh, that's that's it. That's in terms of my reaction. I, I realized too that we had an earlier question. There was a, a there was a, a double a double parter that we forgot to to talk about. Um, that we should probably come back and, and talk about. And that was on the Duncan Hines one. And it was just um, that um, this was an additional follow-up from Deep Duncan about uh, buffets. And so I just want to quickly add that before we completely forget it. And that is that uh, he says that when uh, when I'm in an eating situation at a buffet, uh, especially if hand washing may not be readily available. My strategy is to keep my left hand clean and handle utensils with my right. Um, and, uh, and and part of that is that if you're at a social event, you'll be shaking uh, hands with your right hand. Anyway, um, comment two, one of my biggest concerns at a buffet, which is more of a paranoia than a concern, <laughs> smiley face, is that utensils that people handle often get dropped directly in the food. So as yes. you talked about with uh, norovirus and other pathogens being on the handles, I think they can end up squarely in the food. From the utensils and people's hands grabbing them for sure. Um, so that's what really concerns me at buffets. I suppose overall the risk is low. Uh, uh, if you you would hear about it every day if people were getting sick all the time at buffets, and I think he's right. Uh, and the risk is there. And again, I will share that we had Indian buffet on Saturday, on Sunday rather, as we usually do, and I did not get sick yet, so probably okay. Um, I think that that um, that yeah, that left hand right hand strategy is a good one, and I think uh, dropping uh, utensils in the buffet is also a concern. Um, and I did I, I did mention I think that at this Indian buffet they used to have a big thing of uh, hand sanitizer. I didn't notice it there Sunday and I was thinking about it um, and, and kind of wishing it was there, but not not that I would use it. But anyway, uh, so yeah, so so sorry, we, we forgot that on the feedback from uh, from Deep Duncan. So yeah, but that's but that but those are my thoughts to, just to close the parentheses. Uh, those that's that's that those are my thoughts on uh, on turkey spoilage slash temperature control. Cool, cool. Um, I just sent you a text link uh, mm-hmm. or a link in text that I wonder if because um, you know, I, I'm thinking about TTIs and if they would be useful to tell people about when we're preparing for a hurricane. This one, mm. the one that I sent, this is from um, from Home Depot, so they've got to have them. There's a ten pack, and it's fifteen bucks. So you're a buck fifty per. 
um, indicator. This one's for 25 degrees Celsius, but it gives you like brief, moderate, and prolonged exposure. I wonder, we should, um, and actually what it shows on the, it's what you order is for 25, but if you click on it, oh no, there's a whole bunch of them. Eight degrees, 10 degrees. So so you could get this. This, this is something that people should get. This this would be good for instead of putting a penny, right? Like this works. I should check this out. Yeah, well, and but I wonder what is what is brief, moderate, right. and prolonged. That's that to me, to that to me sounds like qualitative risk assessment, which I'm suspicious of. And I, yeah, I would I would want to see the science behind this. I want to see the peer reviewed publication that shows that shows more detail. But I'm, but yeah, this this I mean this is a pretty pretty cheap. Uh, investment. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so now we're, our kitchens are getting so close. Um, this is the kind of thing that I can do is just walk downstairs and unplug a refrigerator. Oh yeah. And, and be like, okay, let's buy a bunch of these 15 bucks and let's see what it, what it means. And we can put some data loggers in there alongside of it. Check. I'm doing this. Cool. All right, cool. That was, thanks. Yeah. I mean, so thanks for that. Um, I hadn't, I have not made the connection of TTIs in power outage for home kitchens right like I, until we talked about it so that's that was very cool yeah um hey so i have a hard out at, at 11 okay um i it was there was there anything else that in the next uh, four minutes you wanted to talk about yes there's one more bit of feedback and this is from um deep vet um uh, who wanted to be very clear that he's he's called deep vet because he's a veterinarian not because he's a veteran um so he says um hey i've been getting some longer drives in lately uh i think you should formally adopt the tagline teaching how you how to think about food safety, not what to think. Uh, yes. um, and we have to give a huge shout out to a uh, distinguished teaching professor of English, Beth McCoy, who actually was the one who coined that. Um, so, um, oh, you have a hard out in like four minutes. Go, go, so, go. We got, we're good. Oh, we're good. Go talk to you. We, sure? Yeah. Okay. So he says, I uh, recently enjoyed your piece on uh, frozen raw breaded chicken products. Or made me think of the work we did at Name Redacted to reduce uh, thermal process as low as possible so the fillets didn't dry out too much with a consumer cook. We had to make sure that it was acceptably safe if some plonker didn't read the instructions and just defrost it without cooking. I was proud of the fact that the culture at Redacted was that it, if it looks cooked, it should be cooked. We delivered that message while speeding up the process to reduce thermal processing, saving money, and improving quality. Eventually, uh, Redacted sold the business to a private equity firm who decided to save even more money by not cooking at all. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Um, uh, came home to me lately when I threw some defrosted breaded nuggets in a stir fry, just heating them up before serving to the family. Even a food safety guy can make some assumptions when busy. <laughs> Yay, deep fat. The label gave full cooking instructions but didn't say if pre-cooked or raw. I think they should. You bet. Yep. I bet on pre-cooked. I bet on the pre-cooked pre by the visuals and was lucky no one got sick, but I felt a bit stupid. Um, uh, I think that if something – I think if it looks cooked, thinking would, wouldn't go amiss in the food production world. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. I mean you're, you're, you're totally you're totally on um, and uh, yeah, employ a panel of plonkers. Um, that's, a, that's a British-ism. So yeah, thanks thanks for the great feedback, Deep Vet. We really appreciate it. We're sorry you have such long drives lately, but – we do appreciate you listening, and yeah, that's a great tagline, which uh, totally goes to Beth McCoy. So, yeah, and uh, segue the thing that I have to go do my heart out is exactly on what Deep Vet is talking about, sort of investigating um, with, uh, with, with through through experimentation on how we should best tell people that things are raw, so they handle them, and even these things that look not ready to eat. Um, so uh, that's so that's where I'm going. Um, 
Uh, well, all right. that's a show. I think that's a show. So uh, go. This one's, yeah. Yep. Oh, Click, yeah. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Damn it. <laughs> all right. Bye, Don. Bye. So beat me to it. All right. <laughs> so this one's yours. Yes. Um, and uh, any of the any of the titles that you that oh. you texted to me are good. Um, do you want? Do you have time to schedule? Yeah, I do. I I'm it's it's a it's it depends on the on the uh, picture right now, but I'm between Tuesdays with Mickey and panel of plonkers as <laughs> as our because t- panel yes. of plonkers is awesome. Um, yes. uh, yeah, no, I've got time to schedule. So. Okay. Two weeks from today is the 27th, um, and the two, two weeks from Monday, the 26th, also would work because we have writing buddies on, on that day. Yeah, so the 27th is is busy for me. Uh, don't really have time to do it, So, but 26th is is essentially open from writing buddies until uh, uh, 4. Perfect, and I have – so let's go right after writing buddies because I have it open until 2, so say 10 – 15 ish. Perfect. All right. Awesome. And, uh, I'm going to, I'm hoping to get this edited this afternoon before I go to, to the event brothers. Cool. All right. Gotta go. All right. Bye. Bye.